The most useful dimension of the Enneagram begins when we move beyond the typology and develop an awareness of how we interact with others and carry ourselves in the world. Aphoria wants to invite coaches, therapists, and organizational development practitioners in applying the Enneagram in areas of inclusivity, leadership, and team dynamics. Visit aphoriapartners.com for more information on deepening your knowledge and practice of the Enneagram. That's aphoriapartners.com or click the link in the show notes. Welcome back to another episode of the International Enneagram Association. My name is Creek, and I'm with uh, a couple people that you may recognize their voices. You don't have no idea what their faces look like, but no. their voices at least. Um, I have Lindsay Marks and Lee Fields uh, with me who uh, did the podcast with um, with me and a bunch and Abram at the International Enneagram Association uh, conference, which was just a grand old time. We ended up recording what was like 22 episodes in 72 hours, something like that. And then it promptly was, blacked out. A, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for six months. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> and today we have the the honor and privilege to be interviewing the illustrious Dr. Jerome Wagner. Jerome, I, we're just, we're in awe of uh, the glow that is about you right now. Um, as, as well you should be. <laughs> yes, yes. That's right. So uh, we thought we'd have you on the podcast because you're someone who's been doing things for a long time and thought you could say words yes. about things that you've been doing for a long time. That's how podcasting works, I hear. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, can you give us a little um, insight into who is Dr. Jerome Wagner and uh, what has he been up to over the past few years? Ah, well, actually, I was hoping you could tell me who I am. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, let me see if I can remember, right, because, right. you know, as you said, I've been around a long time. Um, a quick history. Um Bob Oaks taught me the Enneagram, and uh, Pat O'Leary was in that same oh. class. Pat, we were both Jesuits at the time, studying theology, and Bob Oaks had just come back from uh, California, where he learned the Enneagram from Claudio Nerano. Hmm. So we were right there at the beginning. Wow. He, uh, so then, you know, I went on to Loyola University in Chicago to get a PhD in clinical psychology. And uh, they had never heard of the Enneagram, nor had anybody else by then. And I was able to do my dissertation on the Enneagram, which is miraculous. I've said this before, um, but I'll say it again because it's so clever. There was nothing written about the Enneagram at that time. Hmm. Now, if you go to Amazon, besides finding my many books there, yes. uh, two to be exact, mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's just hundreds mm -hmm. of them. Unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, I had no books to refer to, so I thought, because it's oral tradition, how about we just put phone numbers in the back where the bibliography should oh, be? Wow. And you just call up these wow. people, and they'll tell you all about it. I love it. <clears throat> uh, they I thought love that, it. that was not funny. At, they didn't think that was funny <laughs> no, at all. Really? <laughs> no, but uh, they still let me do my dissertation, and um, it, it, was, it worked. I compared the Enneagram with um, the Myers-Briggs and a system by a guy by the name of Theodore Milan, who is a personality st uh, studier. He has eight types. And I came up with my first Enneagram test, uh, which was 
good enough to get a dissertation, uh, not good enough to publish. So I worked on on that one for a long time to get it working better. Um, so then I, you know, I've been teaching the Enneagram. Oh my God. For a really, really long time. I'm sick of it. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm still doing it. All right. Yeah. What what uh-huh. keeps you in the game? Well, um, that's a good question. Uh, I don't get paid very much, so it's not that. <laughs> I suppose it's the love of the Enneagram, but it's just the, all the really interesting people mm-hmm. I meet, you know, including the people who are crammed into this studio today. Yes. Listening to us. Um it just, um, it just, well, see, I taught undergrads and I always thought I'm kind of inconveniencing them by having them show up to class. <laughs> they could be shopping or doing something else, but with Enneagram folks, they really want to learn the Enneagram and that's great. And I like to teach. So yeah, that keeps me in the game. Thanks for yeah. asking. Where yeah. did you, where did you <laughs> go to university? Uh, Loyola in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And you studied yeah. psychology, correct? Clinical okay. psychology. Yep. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us just just briefly? You said you did something like on your dissertation in the test. Well, um, I compared it. I, so I gave people my my initial enneagram test, and uh, also I gave people. Um, they all did a workshop that I gave on the enneagram, like a couple, you know, like a weekend workshop, and mm-hmm. uh, then I also gave them. The Myers-Briggs test. And there was a there's another test, um, <laughs> misery, the Milan, Illinois self-report inventory. And you're miserable at, by the time you've taken it, misery. <laughs> and so uh, so then I um, basically did a correlation study of you know what how the how they matched up. And part of it then was designing my Enneagram test and a big part of it was actually my dissertation was the very first fully written description of the Enneagram. Um, <laughs> like most dissertations, it never got published. And so people published their books and became founders of the Enneagram. But so I'm an honorary founder because I I didn't publish, but I wrote, I wrote something <laughs> really early All on. Right. Anyway. You didn't perish yeah. either. Yeah. Now here's an interesting <laughs> thing. Um, it's not interesting, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> There's a person I uh, who's working with me on my Enneagram test now, and uh, so we're we're finding um, subcategories underneath the Enneagram styles. It's like a factor analysis, only it's called latent class analysis. So there's we like four three classes that don't quite fit the subtypes, don't quite fit the centers. I'm not quite sure what it what it means. But what mm. we're finding is mm, it really fits in well with mm. Milan's eight types. Now, I why I bring this up is I for the because I had nothing better to do with my life, I dialed into uh chapped GPT, um, you know, AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, which? <laughs> I'll bet he does. Yeah. <laughs> You're speaking his language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just have to have you respond for me. It's just, it just you all You can't even have a conversation with him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> We're not sure he's here now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So I so anyway, I did. Um, I went to chapter and I said, okay, what Enneagram types go with this eight Milan types? And I swear to God, within three minutes, I get this printout and it said the exact same thing that it took me years to do with my dissertation. <laughs> Isn't that something? That one oh. of them was off, but it made sense why why chapter would have said fascinating. Now maybe they they agree with me because they also tapped into my dissertation. You know, I don't know. Well, but I was pretty well, impressed. You are in the algorithm, whether it was published or not. Yeah, so, could be. Uh, it, it may be citing you back to you for yeah. sure. Sort of to that end, Dr. Jerome Thank Wagner, you. what does good academic work look like uh, in the realm of the Enneagram? You know, besides looking like my looking like my work, you mean? <laughs> Using yours as <laughs> well, a model of perfection. It yeah. probably won't look like my work. Uh, <laughs> as my work was correlation. Mm. And, you know, so it's nice. I So I correlated one one system with the other, and I kind of like to do that, and, and it made sense. It fit. But with correlation, it's not causation. So they just, you know, it's like height and weight. Well, does height cause weight? Does weight cause height? No, but they tend to go mm -hmm. together. So I suspect if you want to publish an Enneagram research article in a, in a juried journal, you would have to do some more cause and effect kind of research. And I'm not sure. Uh, I, I suspect other dissertations and other research has, has done that. But, you know, you got to, you sure you want to get into this? Well, why not? What the hell? Um, <laughs> you know, you've got to, let's, for example, you want to give somebody a team, give them the Enneagram, give them a, a um, workshop, or maybe if you have a client, give them the Enneagram test and then, give them some therapy and then at the end uh see if they've changed so here's a team you know are they more productive or are they this or are they that so that okay so you you've used the enneagram but then you also have to have a control group which either you do nothing with or give them some other system or instead of doing enneagram therapy do myers-briggs therapy or something like that so you want to then see ah was did the enneagram make a difference there's just a lot of things you have to control for, mm. you know, well, maybe the client really likes their therapist. And so, uh, yes, yes, your therapy really helped me. Or maybe the, th mm. you know, the therapist really likes their theory. And so what a surprise behaviorists do research on their behavioral approach and they find out that it mm. works. Cognitive theorists do research and they discover, ah, our approach works. Even psychodynamic people do research and discover, ah, it mm -hmm. works. So now you have to ask, well, does it work because you've kind of skewed your data to confirm it? Or so you got to take all, ask yourself all these thousands mm -hmm. of questions, which take a lot of time and oftentimes mm -hmm. money. Who's got time to do all this stuff? Or I would really like to see, you know, there's theories about, well, we've, we have different neurochemicals, the different types or different hormones. It's a great theory. Is there any data, any mm -hmm. evidence? So you would want to, you know, do a lot of blood tests or a lot of brain scans and give, you know, give nine Enneagram types a problem and see if different parts of their brain mm -hmm. light up. And if no parts mm -hmm. light up, you know, then it, it might be an indication of, 
of that particular type, <laughs> but we won't say which type that is. Wow, what a cliffhanger. Because they might be listening. Yeah, um, yeah. or part of this team here. <laughs> anyway. So um, it's not easy doing really good research. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I'm saying. But I, I would like to, I hope we do yeah. more. And I'll say this, even though I may not follow up on it, I, I got a website name, Enneagram Studies and Applications. I, of course, have no website to go with the name. I just have a name. But wouldn't that be a great spot to publish um, research articles? Mm-hmm. Because a lot mm-hmm. of people say, well, this Enneagram is really interesting, but where's the mm-hmm. data? Is there any evidence that this thing is any, you know, works? And so mm-hmm. we had an Enneagram journal. I was the co-editor, and it was really a good journal. Even, even I have to admit that. But the IEA ran out of money, and we also ran out of really good articles. Mm. But the, in the journal, that Enneagram journal, there was some good research yeah. stuff and, and theoretical articles, too. But we need something like that. In the Enneagram community, I mean, most of us are at best hobbyists with the Enneagram. And I'm curious, as we're moving, the Enneagram is being taken more seriously. So so what's mm-hmm. what is your wisdom for the for the rest of the Enneagram community who were trying to understand this system, this model more deeply? How do we do better work so we're not caught off guard with biases or um, skewing our results mm. or anything like that? What does it look like to actually do good academic academic study and not just equate it with anecdotal subjective experience mm-hmm. evidence? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is. So you have to do more um, systematic research, you know, like like, I, you know, like an mm, example of what not to do. Like I at an IEA conference one time we were I was doing a thing on on subtypes, I think it was. And then I asked the people, they know, well, how many of you are extroverts? How many of you are introverts? And um, it turned out that most of the people who identified as self-preservation were introvert. People who were social and sexual or one-on-one tended to be more extroverted. Is that good research? No, <laughs> no not really. So yeah. don't do that. Um, yeah, so you, you know, so if you want to do that, well, I mean, there's a lot of complications. Whose subtype theory are you talking right. about when you measure subtypes? Yeah. And, um, you know, is this Enneagram test reliable and valid, like mine? Is the Myers-Briggs reliable and valid? You know, do how, do people know their Enneagram and Myers-Briggs type? How long have they known it? What makes them think they're that type? So you have to do a lot of, of validation, I suppose, to do that. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jerry, it's so, I'm sorry, Dr. Jerome Wagner. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's really wonderful to, to talk to someone who's been so closely observing the Enneagram's relationship to the public mm-hmm. over time, the way that you have. And so yeah. I'm wondering, based on your observation so far, what do you see as the next step in the Enneagram's journey in its relationship to the public, um, how can it remain useful? How do we continue to see it as um, a, a tool, that, a model, if you will, mm-hmm. that can be continued to be studied rigorously and um, not lose its relevance going forward? 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, if if it's if it works, if it's useful, if it really does um, describe people well, then I suspect it'll be a, around a long time. Not to be too pessimistic, but I'm I'm thinking of um, oh a philosopher of science whose name I can never remember. But basically, he's saying that the highest praise you can give a theory is it's not yet uh, replaced. Hmm. And so the you know the enneagram is a very good theory, but maybe a better theory will come along. So far, it's been pretty good, but it's not like it's it's you know result of divine revelation. It's a theory, right. so it is made up. And uh, as another person said, all theories are false. Some are more useful mm. than others. So why is it false? Because it is made up. I mean, here's the data, and then you have to come up to some kind of an explanation or interpretation of it. And the Enneagram is a pretty good one. Yeah. I mean, I like it because it, it gives a framework that, you know, when I teach it, I can bring in a little Alfred Adler. It fits his theory. It fits a little bit of uh, Jung. fits a little bit of cognitive theory, behavioral theory. Um, there's that kind of perennial wisdom about the Enneagram. And that, I don't know, perennial wisdom has been around a long time. So maybe the Enneagram will be around a long Mm -hmm. time. You know, so it can be trivialized, which is kind of fun. I, I, you know, I humorously describe types. I don't have any uh, mugs with Enneagram monograms on them. But um, So that makes it kind of interesting and popular. But I, I think it'll stay around if people find it useful. Mm, wow, this really describes me well. <laughs> no, so this is why I've been doing what I've been doing. And it gives some suggestions. Well, you know, here's some other things you can do instead of your crazy mm-hmm. stuff. Or mm-hmm. stop doing that, try doing this. So it has it has um, both diagnostic and I think, you know, therapeutic features to it. Here's where you got, here's where you got yourself stuck, and here's what you can do to get unstuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Here's, here's who you think you are. Maybe this is who you really are. Mm-hmm. So that would be the essence. You know, that going deeper into the what is our true nature. It does have a lot of applications. I mean, it started out, I think, as a spiritual system, and then us psychologists got our hands on it you know, screwed it up. And then the business folks said, hey, this is good for business. We can take this baby in here. Um, So it's spiritual directors like it, therapists like it, coaches like it. It has a lot of um, broad applications. So that, that should help it stay around a while. Any type of inner work requires a confrontation of versions of ourselves that may be uncomfortable or scary. Sarah Jane Case invites you into a poetic exploration of who you thought you had to be through her new book, The Enneagram Letters. You can find this creative approach to your personal development anywhere you buy books online or using the link in the show notes. Yeah, and, yeah. and you mentioned you've, you've worked with this tool as a Jesuit. You've worked with it as a psychologist. And so I'm wondering mm-hmm. with your your broad experiences, have there been any practices that you have found particularly mm. useful for your own growth and even those that you've mentored through the years? 
Um, at the five on the Enneagram, not surprisingly, I like the cognitive approach to therapy. <laughs> Actually, I like them all. I have no no discrimination. I, I you know there's the good stuff in all different mm-hmm. theories of therapy. Um, but there's there's a cognitive approach. There's an exercise that I do. Jeffrey Young has a book called Schema Therapy. He's a student of uh, Aaron Beck. But anyway, it, uh, it it it's an exercise to help you get in touch with. Uh, where did some of your stuff get started when you were young? And can you now see, you know, damn, you're doing the same thing now <laughs> as you experienced <laughs> then. So it's really helpful to see, oh, that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. And then to remind yourself, well, you know, I'm not that little boy I was then. And, you know, this is not my father. This is not my mother. Things have changed. Uh, I don't have to keep going that way. <sighs> The other thing that I really don't like, but um, it works, it's, it's exposure therapy. Do the very thing you're afraid of. <laughs> Get it over with. Go to the dentist. Do a podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> do a lot of them. <laughs> you get over your fear of podcasts. Now, then you have to get over your fear of boredom. But it's all right. So that's a behavioral approach. And uh, think things you're not supposed to think. Feel things you're not supposed to feel do things you're not supposed to do. And you discover that if you don't get arrested or taken to the emergency room, everything goes on. There's no need to be that afraid of mm-hmm. it now. So that kind of, I think that I find that helpful. Dr. Jerome yes. Wagner, could I interrupt you for a second and ask a question? I'm interested in what you were talking about, about the schema therapy. I haven't encountered yeah. that very much. Could you explain a little bit sure. more about it? Mm, no, let's go. Well, if you go back to Piaget, and so um, little kids are trying to make sense out of the world. And so you look for regularities, you look for patterns, you look for re- things that repeat themselves, you know, like, like any grand mm-hmm. types. Um, and then you form schemas. So you, you kind of map it. it. It becomes like a filter. Oh, this goes with that. If I do this, that'll happen. If I hear this, I can expect that to come next. Um, so you make kind of connections. You have these filters, uh, or Piaget calls them schemas. And then once you put your glasses on, your lenses, then data, the world comes in through those filters. And the filters might either, uh, if you paid a lot of money to your ophthalmologist, they might clarify what's coming into your eyes or if you got cheap glasses they'll distort it mm. or your lenses might be kind of gray so oh, the world is kind of a gloomy place or maybe they're rose color oh the ro- world is a happy place maybe your lenses or your filters magnify things people don't like me maybe they go the other way everybody <laughs> likes me um or they so they the filters either help you see things clearly, they're good maps, or they distort things. And so Piaget would say, once you've got your schema, you can either take everything in through the schema, which is uh-huh, accommodation, and I can't think of the other process. Anyway, you, you can either just keep your filter or your theory and force everything into it, through it, or you you can ch- you can change it. 
So you accommodate, you adjust your schema to the new reality. And, and both happen at the same time. And I think the Enneagram helps you see, okay, how are you filtering things that might distort them? So we got nine different filters, nine different lenses. Some of those lenses help us see things really clearly. So like each type has like an intuitive edge. They see things before anybody else does. Uh, and they see it pretty, you know, the ones see well, things that need to be fixed. Two, see people's needs before other people do. Three, see, you know, how to... Mm-hmm. How to you know, how to network before anybody else does. Fours will we will see the beauty in something, or they also might see how they're being misunderstood before anybody else does. Five see connections. Six is see danger. Seven see opportunities. Eight see could be insults and contempt, or they see oh here's how I can make this more just. Nines would would see how we all fit together or where there's conflict. But so we're looking for things. Mm. And you might mm-hmm. um, exaggerate what's there. You might see danger where there isn't any, or we we fives we see connections where there isn't any. Um, <laughs> but not just fives. That's correct. <laughs> that's right. So the, and so uh, when you talk about schemas in cognitive therapy, it seems like if you're depressed or manic or or um, obsessive compulsive. They have kind of um, similar ways of beliefs, assumptions, ways of looking at things. And in my Nine Lenses book, uh, oh, there's that um, model again. Um, (laughs) Each of the Enneagram types has adaptive schemas, useful things, uh, ways of looking at things, things that you want to pass on to your children or coaches, you know, or clients. Oh, here's a good way to look at this. But also there's kind of characteristic ways that each of the types distorts things. And again, the Enneagram is like going to your optometrist and they put that um, machine, which I forget what they call it now, foropter, useful information that I store in my head. (laughs) Um, So the Enneagram is like a psychic foropter. Put that baby on and it helps you see, oh, that now I'm seeing things clearly. Now I'm seeing things in a distorted way. And one last thing, you'd say, "Thank God." <laughs> That's the last thing he's going to say. I had uh, cataract surgery years ago, and I was just amazed to discover that the world was not yellow. Huh? It was a bright <laughs> white. So we tend to have these lenses and forget we're wearing them. That's wild. So now I see that you're wearing glasses, and I'll bet you haven't even thought about it until I pointed that out to you. (laughs) We get these filters, and then we forget, oh, I'm filtering everything through my one lens, my eight lens, my seven lens. Dr. Jerome Wagner. Yes, ma'am. There will be a test, by the way, at the end of this podcast, so I hope you're taking good notes. So many. It's an internal competition to see who can say your name the most times we win. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Surprise, everyone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. Yeah, Jerome yeah. Wagner, I'm in first. You, I have learned from you on another podcast, oh. actually, I think the Fathoms podcast, an exercise that I have used to great advantage for myself mm. and with a lot mm. of clients. And I'm wondering if you could share it again here. And I'm going to shorthand it and say it's your I am, oh, I am that not one. practice. Yeah. 
I love that uh-huh. one. Dr. Jerome Wagner. <laughs> Me too, Dr. Jerome Wagner. Uh, come on, guys. <laughs> you know, Creek, you're interrupting your, Dr. Jerome Your reward will be great in heaven for this, but you're not going to get a damn thing out of this podcast, okay. I'll tell you that. Okay. Now, uh, the I am, I am not. So that goes with the polarities. Mm, and so, the I, you know, you've got this idealized self-image. Here's who I think other people want me to be. Here's how I think I should be. This is Karen Horney stuff. And and Claudio Nerano liked Karen Horney. I don't think they knew each other, but he liked her theory. Anyway, so how would you describe yourself to a, if you're applying for a job, why would somebody want to hire you? If you go out on, you know, um, I don't know, match.com or what are those other matching data sites are, here's why you'd want to go out with me. So I am this, I'm that, I'm that. Now, if I am those things, then I'm not something else. So if I'm um, incredibly smart, then I'm not dumb. If I'm successful, I'm not a failure. If I'm loving and empathic and considerate, I'm not mean and selfish and withdrawing. So you, you, you discover your shadow. If I'm this, I'm not that. And then you, 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 you could do something with your shadow. You can either make friends with it Mm-hmm. And integrate that part back into who you are, because there might be some good stuff there that you've just given a bad reputation to. Or mm-hmm. if you don't want to bother doing that, you can just repress it, the parts of you yourself that you don't <laughs> like, or you can throw them out. And so, uh, I don't know, let's say if you're a four and you like to think of yourself as being very refined, very classy, uh, very authentic and deep feeling all these wonderful things. So you're not superficial. No. You're not, a, you know, a copy. Um, you're not shallow. Far from it. You're not uh, um, well. rude, crude, and unrefined. <laughs> you say, well. I can be rude. Yeah. Well, who is? <laughs> and then you say, well, that's mm-hmm. all the people that I'm surrounded by. <laughs> so you project it out. And so here now you have this aristocrat in exile. Here you have this incredibly refined person surrounded by basically swine. And would you want to throw your pearls before that swine? Why bother? They're not going to get it. Now, you, each of the types does that. I insulted the fours because I like fours, and, and they don't know where I live or they don't have my phone number, so... I'm okay. I mean, I, I'm a four and I have a phone number. And you just told me where you live. So I think, yeah. And you will be getting a lot of yeah. spam emails. So come on. Ah. Now let me ask you this. Did what I say fit a little bit? A little too closely. Thank of you course, very much. I exaggerate and you know. Yeah. No, it, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, right. and, I, and I remember when you when you did first do this on the fathoms podcast like mm-hmm. it, yeah it was really helpful and it really just it uses your own type mm-hmm. strategy against you in the mm-hmm. best sort of way mm-hmm. and then you have no choice but to accept like if yeah that's that is accurate and yeah. i can't deny it now the tough one is now that we have you know you as a guinea pig well, yeah. the one that's hard i think is fours like to think of themselves as deep and not shallow superficial mm. So you got to reframe that. Like, mm-hmm. well, what's good about being shallow like the rest of us? What's good about being on the surface? Yeah. Have you have you come to terms with that? 
I have. Um, yeah. I've learned over the years that what I consider shallow or, you know, just like every day I get to know you talk. Mm-hmm. It's about it's about building trust. Ah. And it's about becoming accessible and maintaining a connection with those that don't feel safe or not aware of mm-hmm. knowing how to go deep or mm-hmm. not feeling safe to go deep. So mm-hmm. it's a precursor to depth like and connection. Okay. I mean, the two images come to mind. Like it, when I go swimming, which is very rare, uh, it takes me about maybe 15 minutes to get into the water because it's cold. So I put my toe in, I put my ankle in, you know, and then 15 mm-hmm. minutes later, maybe I'm in. But it's a really kind of gradual getting used to the water as mm. opposed to just jump in and get it over with. Or the little king, the little prince, and the fox. You kind of gradually get closer to the fox. Yeah. Don't grab the fox by the neck and say, <laughs> let's talk about deep stuff. Mm. Yeah, and I've had to learn the hard way that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do do the uh, the old cold yeah. plunge <laughs> almost every morning. So mm-hmm. I do go all the way in all at once. So uh-huh, it's on I brand see. for me. Yeah, or um, an intentionally yes. uncomfortable experience. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uniquely yes, intentionally uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> I just think one of the beautiful things about that practice is the embodiment of the experience of compassion for another way of thinking. And seeing that in mm. yourself, right? Like that mm-hmm. I'm like them, how, and they're like me, how mm-hmm. is sort of a, it's in a lot of Enneagram language or workshops, there's talk about, we have all the types within us, or, you know, there's sort of these platitudes that come up, but I think that this exercise gets to the practical and tactical of mm-hmm. that experience. Right. And it, it is mm-hmm. in the end a tool of compassion and understanding, mm-hmm. right? Not just labels mm-hmm. and identifications. Right. And because you recognize all that in yourself, it's like you know when I've, I'm in, I'm a horde at hair terrorists, and then I have mm-hmm. to say, well, where's the little terrorist yeah. in me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How am I like that? The other thing that I find gives a lot of compassion is an exercise. We in a panel or otherwise, but um, what is each type sensitive to? Like, where did where did your defensive strategy get started? I, you know, I remember some. Uh, for an example, somebody who was is a six, and when she was six, her father said, "Let's go to the ice cream store," and she said, "Oh, great, let's go." So they get in the car, they drive down to the town, and, and they they go past the ice cream store to the dentist's office. Mm-hmm. So now you wonder, why do sixes get suspicious? Why do sixes say, what do you mean, ice cream store? What do you mean, come up and see my embroidery? What do you, you know, they're looking for the hidden intention. They become a little suspicious can I trust authority? Can I not trust authority? So you have experiences like that, and you kind of say, damn, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. So you create this personality or defensive strategy to keep you from being hurt that way again. And when you hear people talk about, here's how I was hurt when I was little. Here's where I was vulnerable. Here's what, you know, here's that ouch place. It get, helps you be more understanding of, ah, 
now I see why you put on that eight framework, you know, now I see why you were in nine. Wasn't safe to mm-hmm. put your stick your head out, you know. Now I see why why you got entertaining like a seven. It makes sense now. Yeah. So rather than the person kind of just irritating the hell out of you, you kind of say, Ah, I see. I get it. As we're we're closing up here, um Dr. Jerome Wagner. Dr. Jerome Wagner. Uh we <laughs> It's a question that we asked a lot at the conference, but I'd, I'd love to get a fresh take from you here of, in in a few words, how would you, what is your plea to the Enneagram community or like cautionary words to the Enneagram community as it moves forward into, into more places, into more people's ears? Mm-hmm. Um, good question. I'm, and and um, one thing that comes to mind is you know, I've been at this for 50 years, and so I've talked to a lot of types and people, and I'm impressed by the variability within each style. Not all fours are the same, not all sevens are the same, not all fives are the same. There's a lot of variability. And so um, I'm laughing because this is what fives do. We generalize all the time. Don't generalize too quickly. Or... Don't mm, base your understanding of a type on your brother who happened to be that type or, you know, your sister or your grandmother. There's a, so just be aware that there's a lot of um, different, you know, no, no type is the mm-hmm. same. No one person in the type is the same. And so you say, oh, well, you, you just said BS, you know, so you must be an eight. Yeah. And no. A lot of people say yeah. that's a lot of BS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I would kind of say that. Um, be open to uh, just a lot of variance within mm. each style. Yeah. Don't foreclose on it too yeah. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I'm hearing you say is like, be just continue to be curious. Trust that there's something there, and but just continue to be curious. Nicely yeah. put. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Keep learning. Be curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I like That's that. That's great. Um, so mm-hmm. finally, yeah, Dr. Jerome Ragnar, could you give us some... Did you mention yeah. PhD? PhD, you, yes. You forgot yes. that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> what are, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they want to learn more from you and be able to call you by your full name? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> I got all choked up over that. Um they can go to my website, which is enneagramspectrum.com. I have another site, training.enneagramspectrum.com. Uh, my email is Jerome Wagner, PhD. There it is. At gmail.com. You know what I'm thinking of doing? I, I, I do a training online. It works better than I thought it would. I think live is the best, but. Yeah. You know, who wants to go in the airport these days? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm thinking of doing one like some other folks have done, uh, like go at your own pace. So rather than have a cohort go through it, but here are here are these presentations. <clears throat> Here's some homework. You can talk to the master, uh, you know, maybe once a month or so if I graciously deign mm-hmm, to talk mm-hmm. to you. So, so I, I'm leaning in that direction to make it a little bit more accessible to folks. Sounds yeah. great. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Really appreciate your time and uh, your attention to this and, and your legacy. Yes. I mean, you do have a legacy. So. Yes. And thank you for acknowledging yes. my credentials. I thank appreciate you. that.
Okay. 